I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore and joining me in the studio today is former South African fullback Tina Delport. Coming up on the podcast we'll be speaking to Carl Sinclair, Craig Newby and Matt Perry to go over the weekend's premiership action after announcing his retirement this week, Scotland's third highest capped player, Sean Lamont, will be going through the Pro 12. Plus, we've got Wigan Warriors head coach Sean Wayne, who'll join us to talk Super League. Nigel Owens, as always, joins. And remember, you can ask him, or indeed any of us, questions via the hashtag FullContact. Every week, you can join us live on Facebook at 6pm. Just search for Telegraph Sport, and you can listen to the whole show live on the Telegraph website. Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and also please leave a review. Right, on with the show. Tinas, um, 20 minutes to chew the fat, um, a lot going on. Actually, let's start with this. Um, I haven't had a chance to speak to you uh, since uh, Joost van der Westeisen passed away. Your memories of him? Yeah, Brian, um, you know, it's one of those guys that um, you really look up to. Um, he was certainly a hero of mine when uh, when I was growing up and sort of coming through the whole system, um, starting that, to make the sides. I remember in 95, I was a 20-year-old student with high high ambitions and uh, seeing U.S. Uh, take down Big Jonah in the World Cup final. And, um, you know, he was just an inspirational man. And I, I think the, the, the one most or the best memory I always have of him is that smile on his face yeah. and those piercing blue eyes. He was... Uh, he was always always there with a bit of sense of humor, always uh, a bit of a prankster, but when he had to work hard and when he had to put his head on head down and, and perform, he was leading from the front. Um, you know, fitness sessions, um, absolutely going on to the last, last second of the match. He was there leading um, and everyone followed him. And, and what a fantastic man. And, you know, a true reflection of his spirit and his competitiveness that even though he was struck down with, um, with motor neuron disease, um, he didn't just sit back. He took on that challenge and really challenged the disease and, you know, raised the awareness and raised valuable funds for, for people suffering and families suffering with motor neuron disease. So, you know, that's that was the true true spirit of the man is not, not just sitting back and ac- accepting things that happened to him. He went out there and he challenged it. And, you know, he was just such an inspirational man. Well, he is missed and... Um well, his rugby legacy speaks for itself. Uh, the Six Nations, 
from a Southern Hemisphere point of view, what do you think of the overall quality? Um, I've got to be careful what I say here. <laughs> no, you can say exactly what you want. No, I think it's definitely definitely improved um, over the last five, six years. Um, I think the new bonus point system that has been introduced has been fantastic. Um, we saw a, couple, a season or a couple of seasons ago when there was a point difference to be played for that the teams went out there and they played rugby and they scored those tries. They wanted to score those points. And I think bringing in that, uh, that, that bonus point system um, as you really sort of lifted the spirit and the approach to the games. Um, you know, England were dominant, um, although they hadn't really put in the performance that they did want and came unstuck at the last final hurdle against a very spirited um, Irish side. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's up there. You can see, you know, the rank world rankings of, of these teams up there. They, you know, they, they're breaking through that top three, top four mould. Um, and and the, the level of competition has definitely improved. Uh, over the years, I think, actually, I think um, part of England's success has been the moves that have been made in the Premiership. I was very afraid, actually, two or three years ago, that because England English clubs were just not winning in Europe, uh, that they would be tempted to follow the French example by importing players. Thankfully, the overseas restrictions are there and the uh, the ban on picking players from abroad is very important, uh, I think. Uh, and yet, they didn't go down that route of big you know, size and power. They started to play more expansive rugby. And New Zealand confirmed at the last World Cup that actually, that in the end, all things being equal, will beat you know, everything else. And, and thank God for that. And so I think the way the Premiership's developing, you're seeing better games. And this weekend, obviously, you have the international players coming back. That's not straightforward necessarily because they've been away for six weeks and some some people fit seamlessly into it. Others don't quite get there. There are all sorts of adjustment things. Yet we saw some great games over the weekend. I'll we'll start with I mean, Quinn's hammering uh, Newcastle and Chris Robshaw making his return, played a superb game. Do you think he has left it too late to really shout for a Lions place? Ultimately, you know, it's just probably going to be judged on his international performance. Um, you know, club club level and international level is just a little bit different. Um, but you never know. It's it's still, a, you know, a week is a very long time in rugby, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and there's still still a month a month or so worth of and rugby. Lots of injuries to come as well. Lots of this is this time of the year where fatigue starts setting in. Those niggling injuries start developing into bigger bigger problems, and and players will have to pull out. You know, looking at the quality of loose forwards in the Six Nations this year, there is a lot of, of good quality players. And, the, the you know, the question is, where is he going to fit in? You've got your Tipperick, your Warburton, the Irish, CJ Stander. It is a full pack of, um, of loose forwards that are, that are that's stuck up their hand to, to play. All he can do now is focus on, on Harlequins, on his uh, mm-hmm. club form, um, and hope for the best. You know, mm-hmm. c- keep that keep that uh, level performance going forward and you know you never know there might be an injury there might be a pull out um, and he, he's in for a shot he is a class leader um, you know being captain of an international side before of England before will bring that leadership element that is vital when you go away um, especially when you have to pull um, players from a, a lot of different nations you need those strong leaders to be able to to as quickly as possible bond that touring team because it's not an easy tour as four different unions going down to New Zealand to face the world champions down there. 
Well, Exeter recorded a 30 points to 25 victory against uh, Sharks, so they continue their progress, hopefully, for them into the playoffs. Um, and on Saturday, East Midlands derbies between um, Northampton Saints and Leicester Tigers are never short of incident. They are quite often short on quality, but um, Saturday, yesterday, they had a they had a tremendous battle. It was uh, it was one of the best games of the Premiership season, I think. And we're talking about internationals. They were to the fore: Courtney Laws, Tom Wood, Pickamore, especially, who showed a, a, a surprising turn of pace, I think, to set the second try up. But then on the other side, Tom Youngs and uh, Dan Cole featured uh, George North as well. I just wondered, having seen Northampton over the years, when you look at the squad they've got there, they've got some outstanding players, they've got some good club players, but they don't seem to close out games that they should do. And I have my own thoughts about that, but why, why do you think that might be? Well, you need, you need world-class players in those positions that... That are going to turn the game. You know, your nine tens, especially. You need need those international players mm-hmm. um, or with that experience that that can really turn the screw when it's needed. And it might be that they just lack a little bit of decision making in some key key opponents. It might might be that they have to look around a little bit, maybe innovate, bring some new innovations into the side. I um, mean that uh, that whole coaching team has been there for for several years. I mean, because you're you're a big man, Victor Matfield, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a decent mate of Vic, and um, he he spent a bit of time up there um, towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he enjoyed the he joy, enjoyed it up there, but he, for him it was that they they a little bit insular in terms of the way they approach the game, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily looking outside of Northampton and what they've achieved to um, to sort of look at evolving their game and that could be it could be a stage where you've got to keep on evolving if you look at bring it bring in international side Wales you know has Wales really moved on from when they had that um, good spell four or five seasons ago you've got to keep evolving the other teams keep catching up they keep evolving and they catching up to you so you've got to stay try and stay in front of the game well I, I tell you what I mean I for, for various reasons, always said that the national coach should be English, if at all possible. However, uh, with this caveat, that bearing in mind a lot of the innovations come from the Southern Hemisphere, certainly New Zealand, and with the availability of coaches from there, that either, and I now believe that either in your international setup or your club, and your club setup, there is enough room within your coaching structure to have at least one Southern Hemisphere coach. Um, because they bring a different mindset, they bring different expertise, they bring different player management and all sorts of things. Um, and I, I can only think that that must add, not necessarily just quality, but um, a different, at least someone who will question things from the way they are done habitually. No, you need you need that different voice, that different opinion. Um, the one thing I want to say, though, is that in that school, coaching setup you need someone with premiership experience because the premier the premiership is way different than than super rugby than the domestic competitions in well, South what, Africa. What, in what way I, th- I think just just more intense um you know you've you're in terms of your managing your players over the course of nine months um 
playing in the Premiership, the, the Australians are certainly not used to it. They don't have a domestic competition. All they focus on um, is Super Rugby. Mm-hmm. The quality um, of the Curry Cup now, the domestic competition in South Africa, is way low. So the intensity is not there on the players. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Springbok players actually don't play Curry Cup. So they get rested, uh, play Rugby Championship, get rested, and then they on the overseas tour. The Premiership is week in week out mm. nine months mm. these guys get three weeks four weeks maximum off in the pre in, mm. in the off season then they back onto it mm. you need someone that that experience that can manage that team come february march time these guys are mentally drained mm. um and you, you've got to be able to freshen it up um and and lighten the load and become confident enough mm. to lighten the load gloucester um had that um had that experience now a season and two with with laurie fisher coming in change the game change the approach but at this part of the season mm. you need to be able to well, manage that team as i said you only be one of you know a, a series a, a team of coaches but still for me absolutely necessary to give that uh, perspective uh, leicester ironically were probably one of the most insular clubs in in england uh, i remember dean richards when he was coach saying that when they had a hard time once he went to a committee meeting and um, a couple of committee members uh, said, you know the trouble with this is with too many foreigners in this squad. And he said, what do you mean, overseas players? And they said, no, players from outside Leicestershire. <laughs> and so that's how close they were. And yet, um, well, the, I, the, our own major thing hasn't worked, although I think you can see his stamp on how they've tried to move on as a club in a way that possibly Northampton haven't. And... Um, it would be a shame if in this transition they retreated into insularity because they of all teams need to augment what they were very good at, which was a very traditional, you know, f- not necessarily just forwards game, but but based on that sort of power um, because they've got players there now. And indeed, they showed that quality just hanging on in there against Northampton when Northampton could and probably should have buried them, actually, uh, you know, to win to win in the end. No wasps today. I think they're the first team to secure a playoff place. They're so far out in front. They scored six tries. Um, they won't be very pleased that Worcester scored five in return, but uh, still, uh, their quality certainly in the backs is there. I mean, if you were a if you were a wasps coach, you must be salivating at the prospect of of manoeuvring those backs around, mustn't you? Just give the ball to the backs. I mean, it's typical where you need an Australian coach there because, you know, the the tight phases for them is just a start-off point for the backs. Fantastic quality in the back line there. You know, Cipriani, Kirtley Beal, Vili Leroux. I mean, it's, it's, it's just gold us wherever it is. You still, of course, have to create those platforms. But the fact, you know, that, that Wasps scored six tries, Worcester scored five tries, you also got to take into account how many of these um, premiership venues now have got the 4G pitches. So... You you gonna you are gonna be left behind if you still focus on a traditional type of game. Yeah. Majority of the season now is being played on fast tracks. Um, you don't you don't ju- nor, you don't have those pitches that just mop, you know it's just mm-hmm. m- muddy get bogged down and it's a forwards a forwards battle. Those games are getting less and less and less. Because I wondered, um, it, it, I mean it almost certainly won't happen, but. Good tracks, good weather, encourages good rugby. Um, not least because I think it puts you in a different frame of mind, actually. But C- certainly does. And I just and I just wondered whether the Premiership would ever consider I mean, the international consequences, which they could work through. 
saying, look, um, actually, if we move to a summer season, um, those 300,000 players who play amateur rugby on a Saturday, who are all obviously fans, you know, some of them may come and, and, and watch us uh, and increase it. And the, the prospect of standing there, you know, with the sun shining and a cool beer and without 12 layers of clothes is actually um, it's quite compelling in just a, an aesthetic sense. Um, can you ever see that happening? I'd love to see that happening. Um, you know, you've, you've also got the longer days, so yes. you, you can you can kick off later in the day. You can have a kick off at six o'clock, seven yep. o'clock, yep. and you still have you'll still have daylight. Rugby league has done it. Yep. Um, I think the big challenge here will be about the broadcasters. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, the broadcasting rights. That, yeah. This is that's going to be your the, the biggest fight that's got to be had True. is will the broadcasters pay for you know f- for for these events also happening summer i'd love to see um a summer or a, a summer orientated um rugby in, in the northern hemisphere because of the weather you know it's going to be difficult when you go down to the south of france when it hits 30 30 40 uh, 40 degrees but certainly in england um well, I'm, not, in I mean, I'm not talking about the amateur game because quite rightly players um, and you know people involved in the amateur side of the games you know made the point that they don't play on nice pictures. They play on council wrecks and, and all over the place. And sometimes, you know, in, su- in summer, they are bone hard and actually dangerous. Mm. Um, and then on the other side, they have to slog around in mud, but that's uh, less dangerous. So we don't, wouldn't necessarily touch that. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. I mean, the game is notoriously resistant to change, so it might not, uh, you know, come off. Um, that will also bring it in line with, um, well, exactly. with the global season. Yep, you know, yep. so for the first time, then really... Um, when you meet powers and how, when you challenge the powers of the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere, it will be on a, on a, on a neutral par. You yeah, know, because when, always one is at the end or start of a season and you, with all those attendant problems. Uh, easy excuse always. Well, well, yeah, if you want to say that, yes, fair enough. Saris continue to march forward. They're, I think, the second now. Um, for this second or third, uh, 53-10 against Bath. The third, I think, 53-10 against Bath. Now, even accounting for Saracens playing well, which they did, as a top side with pretensions to going to Europe and be in the playoffs, you should not be leaking that many tries and losing, you know, by half a century. No, definitely not. I mean, this would be a massive blow for Bath, the team, the coaching, uh, and for their confidence. You know, to put to leak forty-three points. Uh, to lose by 43 points, yes, it is away. But you are pushing for that top four, spo- f- yeah. uh, top four position. You don't want to see that. I mean, and, and the, look, they can't complain about investment, bearing in mind their uh, various shenanigans in and around the salary cap. So what, what salary cap? But yeah. <laughs> well, I was talking to Dean Richards actually about this um, before an international, and he was saying it is absolutely essential that you keep it. He said. Even if people cheat, you've got to keep that to keep them within a certain parameter. And he's right, because if you get rid of that, you will instantly lock in six rich clubs. And the rest, the Leicester cities in rugby probably won't happen ever because rugby is a, you know, is a game which relies on physique and you, you, you can't you know, just nick a goal and defend, a, you know, defend for the rest of the game. It's just not possible. So if, if people want to do that, then they should go in it into that with uh, you know with uh, with their eyes very very much open um we've got a couple of minutes left how do you think the lions will do in new zealand for me the the key for 
factor there is what type of game are they going to play? Who's going to make up the bulk of the squad? Mm-hmm. You know, Gatland is there with his with his coaching team. Wales didn't perform. Their stand-up players arguably are not on form. You've got your English players, you've got your Irish players. How quickly can they can they sort of amend and get together as a I don't team? Think, I certainly don't think they'll be able to play the type of game that, that blew away Australia in the in the final test of the last series. No, you, you, you have to carry ball. You've got to keep the ball away from New Zealand as much as possible. So you've got to retain ball. You've got to, you've got to attack, you know, attack, f- try and play similar rugby to them, but also put the, put the screw on, on their tight faces. I still think areas like the scrum is, is, is an opportunity for you to, to, put, you know, to put pressure on the All Blacks. You look at the All Black or the New Zealand sides in the Super Rugby uh, and their form is outstanding. Um, you know the guys have come back off the break. They're playing a fantastic brand of rugby. They're high on confidence. Your Hurricanes, your Bowden Barretts, these guys are absolutely relishing um, in that type of type of scenario, the fast pacedness of the game. And, and as that, you know, it is the hardest place to tour. It is very very tough. I mean, you st- you step foot on um, on New Zealand soil and you are alone. Um, no one else is out there to support you. These guys are passionate about rugby. It's it's all over the culture. You can go to the smallest little town in the South Island, and they will know everything about rugby and the upcoming tour. Um, the 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 touring support is going to be vital. Um, so all the everyone going out there to support the Lions, they have to make noise. They've got to raise um, raise the profile and and raise the noise levels, especially in those very hostile um, environments and stadiums you're going to play in. Well, I'm sure they'll do that because the industry surrounding the Lions has got bigger and bigger and bigger. And indeed, we'll be featuring, we featured one, but we'll be featuring, along with QBE, the team behind the team, which is we're going to focus on each of the jobs the backroom staff do. Because everyone knows a tour goes on. They know people must do certain jobs, but you don't really think about them until you ask the people that they do do something. It's very, very vital. So... That will be, uh, that, you know, that, that has to come, but that will be more and more interesting as we go along. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Time now to speak to uh, Kyle Sinclair, the Quinns and uh, England prop. Good evening, Kyle. Evening, Brian. How are you, mate? I'm all right, mate. Now, um, I don't know if this ever got to you, but I was asked for... Um, a signature on something uh, for a young 16-year-old lad called Kyle who played a bit of rugby. <laughs> um, did you ever get that <laughs> or not? Yeah, I did, yeah, I did you get did. it. Yeah, I did get yeah, it, yeah. that's good. I'm, I'm pleased he wasn't going to sell it on eBay. That's quite useful, <laughs> anyway. uh, which he might have done if you... Well, we both know that anyway. Um, <laughs> let's not go into that. Kyle, um, fairly meteoric rise for you. Expected, unexpected? You know, How do you feel about it? Uh, yeah, I just, I've always, you know, had belief in myself. I just, um, I'm a big believer of just working hard and, and staying grounded. And I've just kind of been lucky to get, to get, to get my chance. And, you know, what I can do now is just keep working hard and seeing what happens. I, this always happens with young props because the front row is a place that's unique in this sense. You yeah. have to learn your trade there and play against lots of different players because even ones who are not rated internationally or well-known, can suddenly pose you a problem because of technique or whatever. And the more you come across, the better able you are to solve things. Initially, um, 
you know, I thought you struggled in the scrimmage, but I, I am aware, and I, from what I've seen, your scrimmaging game has improved a lot. Now, how have you gone about that? Uh, yeah, I think as a player, I've got loads of areas I've got to improve on, and I'm always keen to improve on everything. And as a tight head prop, it doesn't matter really how much you can carry or tackle. Your main job is to scrum, and that's something that um, I've had to learn as I've got older and older. And uh, I think the addition of Graham Roundtree and Adam Jones at Harlequins have made a massive difference to me in the last two years. I think if you saw me playing for Quins two years ago mm-hmm. to, work, to, to me playing now, uh, I'm, a, I'm a different player. So, Kyle Tinas here. Um, it's great to see that you're working on your scrumming. It's getting there. The modern day prop, though, you look at a, a big fella yeah. like Charlie Farmuhina. He's also very confident on the ball, um, especially yeah. if he finds himself uh, way deep uh, on the counter attack. How do you work on your running skills? Because I've seen once or twice there's uh, there's some dazzling feet in there and quite a turn of pace. Uh, yeah, I think it's come from when I was younger because I used to play in the centre and on the wing. So uh, it there you are. So did I. Well, so did I. I became <laughs> I became too big and slow, which might be your excuse as well. But so I mean, how you you played for how many years there? Uh, I played till I was I started playing rugby when I was around eight or nine, and until I was about thirteen, fourteen, mm-hmm. I got scouted by Colin Osborne at Harlequins, mm-hmm. and then I went down to my first Harlequin session. I went to run off with the backs in a unit split, and then he said, no, 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 you're going with the forwards now. <laughs> and he put me to tie a prop, and then that was it. <laughs> what, just, he just said, I'm sorry, you're tighted now. Oh, well, and how did you react to that? Uh, I don't know, I just, I, I've always just, you know, enjoyed having the ball in my hands, and uh, I think it's something that I had different to the to the game, to, to, get, to get some carries and tackles, but... As you know, Brian, the main thing is to is, is, is your scrum and your and you know your rut detail and your line up more than that. Yeah, certainly, certainly for a tight head. Yeah, yeah um, so. you know, you had a big uh, a big win against uh, Newcastle. I think uh, where you sit six in the table. Um, yeah. Realistic playoff ambitions. Well, I'm only four points off uh, fourth, but that's true. We've got we've got we've got a, a really really tough running, but. We've got we've, on our day. We've got the team to beat anyone. It's just you know we've probably been inconsistent this year, so it's time for us to you know put a string of because we've only got four games left, and we can see what happens. But last um, yesterday's game was definitely a um, step in the direction. Um, the summer. Uh, when will yeah. you hear about the summer touring squad? Uh, I, I don't think you hear until literally the last week of the season so mm-hmm. um, you know all I can do is focus on on playing well for Harlequins and, and we'll see what happens uh, how, how will they tell you about this? Yeah. How, do we, how will they inform you? Do they give you a call or not Not, <laughs> not as what I found out on my first England tour but in the same with the Lions actually which was on teletext but you're too young to remember teletext but um, <laughs> do, do they have the decency to call you or do you get a, a, a text or whatever? Uh, when I when I was 20, I went on my first tour to New Zealand with England, and I got a call then. When I first got called up to Eddie, I think it was an email or a text. So mm-hmm. it can all vary, it can all vary. <laughs> so you just kind of keep your your eyes peeled on your phone and see what happens. Well, the prospect of going uh, Argent it's Argentina, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Argentina um, in two weeks. It's it will be a well, it will be a hard tour in this sense. There are so many distractions in Argentina, and then you come up against very big players yeah, who are very, very physical. 
yeah. um, and the quality has got a lot better as well, that it can sometimes throw you. But um, what do you, I mean, from there, what's your hope going forward with you and the other players who are on that squad? Um, obviously, the first things first is you hope to get selected. And um, one thing I've learned with Eddie is that you never take anything for granted. Um, he always, you know, you've always got to never be complacent and keep working as hard as you can. Um, when it when it, when it comes to Argentina, for me, if I'm lucky enough to get selected, it's going to be a great tour because Argentina are probably, you know, rate is one of the best scrums in the world, mm -hmm. if not the best. So it'll be a, definitely a good lesson. Um, and on a personal level, I hopefully try and get a bit more minutes under my belt and earn that trust from Eddie. So um, when the big the games do come around, if I'm involved, he's not. I'm in R and whoever to put me on, he can say, you know what, I trust Sinclair and I'll get him on early like he does with Mako and Joe. But obviously that will take time. So I just got to keep chipping away and uh, working hard. Carl, just um, just rewind a little bit to um, to the game against Ireland. Yeah. And. Um, I think uh, all the Irish are very, very confident and happy because they stopped another world record attempt. How much did the world record uh, play in the back of the mind of, 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 of the English team in, in preparation uh, towards the Irish game? Uh, it didn't really play in the back of our mind. Eddie said from the start, you know, this game is massive for us. It's, it, if you want to create history, you know, it's there for the taking. And he said, this is the biggest game we've ever had. Um, and we all knew that. I just think on the day, it, you know, things didn't go our way and, and fair play to Ireland, they came out the block firing. But, um, you know, if we on a different day, we probably could have nicked the result. But fair play to Ireland, they, uh, they've done a really, really good job. And it's always tough to go down to the Aviva and get a result, as you've seen. Mate, um, I hope, hopefully you'll be able to go to Argentina. Um, yeah. Go and uh, enjoy those steaks and the nightlife <laughs> uh, yeah. and all the best for the rest of the season. Yeah, he's yeah. not good if you're a vegetarian, that's all I'll say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, if, I'm, if I'm lucky enough to get selected, um, I'll definitely be enjoying a few steaks. All right, you will be selected, by the way. I'm fairly certain <laughs> about that. Um, thank you very much. Speak to you again, uh, Julius. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Well, we were talking about Leicester and uh, the way that they overcame, a, well, a very spirited... Uh, Northampton Saints challenge at the weekend and we can now talk to the former All Black and Leicester back row Craig Newby good evening Craig good evening how are you okay mate um, what do you what first of all what have you made of the um, management changes coaching changes at the Tigers um, how controversial do you want me to say you can say anything you like mate <laughs> mate I, I think it's dis disappointing um just been close to to the players and, and Aaron. I'm you know, I'm pretty good mate with Aaron. So, uh, how highly the the, the players um, you know respect him and, and the, th the things he's been trying to put in place. Uh, mm. So, pretty disappointing in the timing of things. I can understand the Tigers board if they want to you know change direction. Um, that's their prerogative, and, and that's what you know. I think I'm trying to do the best thing thing for the club, but. You know, in my perspective, the timing was probably a little bit, um, you know, just hard to hard to uh, agree with. But that's but, the way they've gone for, and, and you know, that's that's it, really. But Craig, I mean, you you mentioned the phrase, you know, going in a different direction. But that was one of the things that Aaron was brought in to do to take them away from what was a, a you know traditionally a more conservative game to. You know, try and get them to the sort of uh, level of uh, flexibility that 
Wasps and Saracens and other teams are, you know, striving for. So, uh, I, which way, which way do you think they are going to go? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know really. Um, so look, look uh, those clubs that you talked about there, Exeter and Saracens in particular, and even Wasps would die. And, and you know, they've got they've got strong leadership at the top, and they've got a vision. And that vision wasn't a one game or a one season plan. You know, they've yeah. they've got three, four, five season plans and I know Aaron you know, he's the kind of guy that had plans in place and, and a lot of his stuff was about learning and, uh, and his systems and his the way he wants to play and uh, integrating everybody from the top to the bottom of the club and you know and he was you know a year and a half into that kind of plan and, yeah. and just starting to see some results and, and I know the Tigers are a, a club that uh, that want to win trophies and, and I know it's the LV Cup but they won a trophy and and you know that's that's one of the you know one of the things they want to tick off and um so in terms of having long term plans, I know Aaron had that and um you know they're gonna to have to start again and and whether they can get that from the top to the bottom that that same sort of direction you know that's the, that's what they need now is they just need some direction uh they need some leadership and to get them back on track. Well, I mean, I, I thought the reaction of the Tigers players at the end of the game, you know, towards Aaron Major was fairly telling, actually. Um, and I, I, well, I was joking earlier on with, with Tinas about uh, what is a strength uh, of, of the Tigers, which is their uh, communality, the way that they play around the city, the way they're very proud, a lot of them to have been brought up in the locality. But, you know, then again, with the world game moving around and needing to look outside, whether they're that might occasionally lapse into insularity. Now, how did you find your, you know, how did you find it in that respect? Um, yeah, I guess well, you got you got Dan Cole and Sam Harrison. And you got a few handful of like Tom Croft and Matt Smith and Ben Young, mm -hmm. Tom Youngs who have come through the academy. But outside of that, you, you know, you're always in, in every team. You're going to have guys coming from outside around mm -hmm. the world. You know. Um, and how quickly those guys can get into a culture or uh, a team spirit and all those things. And I know this group that I've currently got um, have, have got that. You know, they they spend time together. They be friends and partners and families, and and they're all inclusive. And, and from the uh, the academy boys, you know, being involved in in, in the whole process. So they've got a, they've built up a really strong culture there. And uh, why you know yesterday with the Saints game. They would be able to dig deep um, and, and win that game. So those are the things that people don't see. All they see is the scoreboard. Um, people that have been involved in rugby, they see you know, a little bit deeper than that. And um, and that's you know that's why I'm still involved in rugby and that's why I played rugby, because of those, those friendships and those bonds and, and all the, the things that you, know, you don't get paid for. Um, and that's... That's what this Tigers group's got now, and I, I think they'll kick on now, and they'll be in the top four. They'll beat Bath in the week, or after the week off, and then they'll they've got a good run in, um, and I think they'll be in the top four. And, and you know, they're dangerous. No one wants to play the Tigers in the top four. I'll tell you that. No, I mean they've they've always had for and for a long time the ability to time runs, and you can never because of the spirit you can never really put them away. And they they managed to do things like they did, you know, on Saturday against Northampton, and yet. When you look, uh, when I when I compare the, the the Tigers and the Saints' efforts yesterday, 
it seemed to me that whilst the internationals on both sides stepped up and they probably continue the form they've been doing internationally, the difference possibly was between the players who are, I was going to say ordinary club players, I don't mean that, but good club players, but not necessarily yeah, yeah. there. And that, in the end, swung Leicester's way. Yeah, it did. Um, it was a real arm wrestle. And, you know, Louis Pickamoles was the best player on the field. And without him there, Northampton probably would have had a shot of that game. But, um, yeah, you're right. The depth of Tigers is pretty good. And, and that's the kind of thing Aaron's been doing. He's mm-hmm. He's been building depth and he's, he's teaching these guys how to, Know, play in different scenarios, situations, and so they're, they're coming up with their own ideas, and um, rather than just being spoon-fed things. So um, you came through. In the end of the day, I, I think the, the scrum, the Tigers scrum, was was, was dominant. Um, both sides' defence seemed a little bit optional. Um, penalty, you know, penalty factory mm-hmm. from both sides, but um, in the end, the, you know, like you say, those role players, those those guys that are. Week in week out, just being consistent. Um, those those are the ones that they brought them through in the end. And you know, guys like you can take Freddie off, who's playing fantastic rugby all season, and being old on and and cool as you want, and he snacks over those kicks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, fantastic. I was, you know, I was, I was at Hinkley Rugby Club watching my, the old mate Scott Hamilton play rugby uh, yesterday, and watching it on the big screen it was just fantastic atmosphere and uh, a lot of lot of good people watching uh, Tigers play some good rugby. Craig Tinas, yeah, we were we were roommates for one night at the at the Barbar- Barbarians, but unfortunately, all we got to uh, to celebrate was uh, me packing your bags in the morning because you had a you had an injury. How are you doing, buddy? Mate, I'm in good. Eh? I'm loving life. That's you know, good. I've been retired five years now. Um, I'm now in schools rugby, so I'm at work work school at the moment. Um, we're we're just building up this Wednesday. We've uh, got our under 15s and our under 18s in the NatWest Cup uh, final. So. Fantastic for our school. Um, moving on to uh, um, St John's and Leatherhead, be director of rugby in the summer. So, my uh, times are good. Uh, I'm not in the professional rugby coaching game because it's, it's bloody fickle. And uh, <laughs> why would you want to coach? Mate, school school job is a job for life. Just coming back to Leicester, um, that was clearly an emotional win for you know for major for for Aaron. You know the the team supporting him. Do you think they will be able to carry that emotions over over the next four <coughs> rounds leading into the playoffs and to the final and potentially um, raise the trophy this year? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a hard one. Uh, hard one with emotions because emotions can make you make bad decisions or good decisions. So I, I, I know Aaron will be, and he spoke to the players about uh, it's not about him, it's about them. They're, they're good people, really hard. They've been on a journey for you know nearly two years together, and they've brought in a few players here and there. So I know you spoke to them about it. it's not about him. So uh, that emotion will you know will slowly dissipate. Um, and I think they've got they've got a quality side there. I'm not they're quite good enough to win the whole thing, but they are they certainly have got the talent there and, and the desire uh, to perform. So uh, it's just one of those things. They'll end up. I think they'll probably end up fourth, and they'll play, you know, any one of those those top teams. And um, like I said earlier, you never ride off a tiger at this time of the year. And, and Brian said earlier that um, tigers always peak at this time of the year, and they're a dangerous side. Well, Greg, uh, good luck in the uh, good luck in the cup. Uh, I, from my point of view, looking at schools rugby, 
Um, with so many former very good players going into coach school sides, that standard has been raised immeasurably, and that you know could be only be good for England. So keep on doing the good work. Thank you. No, cheers. Thanks for your time. And uh, and, and you're right. The schools rugby is, is an investment in there, and in, um, in terms of schools, but. There are a few of doing fantastic things with uh, you know Don Fletcher and Peter Walton mm-hmm. and Russell Inshaw. You know those guys England under 18s have got a fantastic program, and, and that's why you're seeing the results in the in the senior team. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye. Uh, we've got a question for our next caller. It's the former Bath and England fullback Matt Perry. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Brian. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Now the, this is a question from uh, at the Rich Goodwin. Um, and it says very simply, "What's gone wrong at Bath?" Whoa, well, that is a question. Uh, <laughs> well, start with the easy ones. Uh... Start me with a small one, why don't you? Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, how long have we got? Um... As <laughs> long as you want, mate. Actually, if it's a well, cogent explanation, well, let's, let's have a lunch and a dinner. And uh, <laughs> right, uh, I'll no, tell you what. Let's, let's start here. Let's start here. Tina and I were just saying. If you're a side with pretensions to be in Europe, to do well in the playoffs, to win the whole thing, you don't get smacked by 53 points. Because to me, there is something wrong. There's something wrong with this. But I, I, there's something wrong there, yeah. intrinsically. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's, a, there's a, probably a couple of factors. And you can always go to an injury list, can't you? And you can mm-hmm. say, oh, we got... You know, Bath have had 18 players that have been injured. Um, also, the likes of George Ford, Joseph Watson, key players for Bath who've been on international duty, and then they have to come back into a side where they've been knackered out through the Six Nations, and they've got to transition and build energy straight back into uh, the domestic league. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of point to those things. But I just heard your conversation before, and, and what, what's impressed me with Leicester, now with Saracens, Wasps are doing it, is this whole thing about kind of succession planning. And the best clubs are actually looking ahead almost a year, two years ahead and saying, look, this is a fact. This is going to happen. So where's our capability and what faith do we have in the youngsters to actually blood them, motivate them and Mm -hmm. almost kind of give them a straw man to say, look, you're going to be key during these periods of the season. Mm. So I think there's something at Bath around recruitment planning, looking ahead, sort of, identifying where they where the gaps will be but Bath does have a world-class um set of players that they can call on and i just think it's it's becoming a bit of a narrative now that oh, the energy just drops during this stage of the season mm. and you look at Wasp and they're on fire you know Sarri's today absolutely hammering the bar and they just look full of energy whereas Bath at the wrong time of the season and you can't use the fact that they've you know, they're tired. They've had three weeks off, a week's rest, and then preparation. So I think you can look at the preparation, you can look at the energy of the players and also the capability of players in the important games during the period of internationals where the kind of star names are off, but we just haven't integrated players into the team well enough. I just, also, I wonder, um, the, you know, the investment of Bruce Craig, irrespective of other issues, has not been, you know, less than fulsome. But I just wonder if that creates a temptation to say, right, let's go and get a big player to solve all this. Let's get him or him or him without enough care as to how they'll fit in, where they'll fit in, you know, what what jobs yeah. they will do, what, what psyche they've got. The Burgess thing, for me, was a disaster for the club. 
not because yeah. of Burgess's, uh, you know, character or quality. I just yeah. don't think it was like a kid in a sweet shop. Oh, there's a nice one. I'll I'll have that without too much thought as to you know as to whether it would actually do any good. Do you think there's anything in that? Yeah, no, I agree. And there was a bit of a contradiction. I think Barca wanted him to play him at six, and England were kind of twelve. You know, there was a lot of pressure on him. It was almost like someone was trying to shoehorn him into the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he came to Bath, I think, you know, players clapped him in and it was kind of like, our saviour's here, but one player doesn't make a team. And uh, I think that had a big impact overall on the club. But let's not forget, Bath has started the season extremely well, playing some great rugby, going back to the standard of rugby that the city and the supporters expect, which is expansive and Kind of risk taking. Mm-hmm. Bo Nash, you know, likes to play adventurous rugby. Um, but then we've gone to a period since Christmas of kicking the ball again, and it's you know that confused mentality yes. about how what is the framework that Bath want to play to, and then you've all got to commit to it. You have 15, 23 players who go, "Yeah, we're up for that," and uh, and it's an attitude thing as well. And I agree, recruitment wise, you know, Burgess. You have to look at the character. I mean, if it was me, you look at the character first. Are they going to fit? What's their role going to be? What's their value going to be? And then obviously their playing ability uh, should be second to none because the difference in the talent in the players is actually very small. It's the character they bring and fit into the mm-hmm. to the culture of what a team is actually trying to do. Peza, Tinesia, how's that hamstring, mate? You ready for uh, some more uh, old boys veterans games? <laughs> hey, I'm, I reckon I've got another contract in me. I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling <laughs> mate, I have a chat to Todd Blackadder, mate. <laughs> You, you, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling fit in my hamstring, but my my belly's not looking so fit. So, uh. <laughs> mate, veterans veterans games. You we play tens, mate. Where there's a spot for you in the front row, mate. I had to play lock in the last Dubai <laughs> competition, so we can lock down, mate. Mate, you're the biggest fullback ever on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Pez, just uh, you just briefly touched on the way Bath started with the ball in hand approach. Um, Blackadder coming in. Certainly, he's, he's changed that culture. They've he's, they've they've gone back to the more expansive game. Why would you? Why, in your opinion, would you say they've gone back to more of a kicking approach? Um, is this towards the weather, or is it maybe the players not really having that buy-in in terms of the playing style? Uh, I, I think it's buy-in. I think Todd Blackadder um, and you, you know all the coaches that they. They've set a framework. They're really good people, and they've, 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 the one-to-one coaching and what they've done at the club, you know, has been fantastic. But the season's almost split into three seasons. If you think about mm. it, so August, September, you've got running rugby, and then you go from this period of kind of November through to January, where it's like, okay, we got to we got to win here. And then you come out when it's spring, and you're into the kind of you know the business end of the season. And I think it takes a level of buy-in and trust from all the players. And, and the coaches to go, we're going to go for this regardless and we're not going to back away from what we agree is a good style of play for us. And the supporters aren't stupid as well. I mean, it's quite it's quite interesting. You know, recently went down to a game and um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the game, but five minutes in, when the supporters aren't happy, they know that it's not going to be an easy day. So I think it takes a trust to actually follow through on your game plan. And there will be mistakes and there will be failures and there will be setbacks, but you'll come through that. And I think just going back to that kicking game, kicking pointless ball away is, is a backward step. So it takes trust and it takes an alignment of all the players to, uh, if you're going to lose, losing the frame that you, uh, that you set out to go to. 
Because because looking at that starting backline of Bath today, you know, for Banan, Tapuai, Joseph, Rokuduguni, Watson, Fotuali at nine, Falato, low, you know, and you've got a fast track uh, in Allianz Park. Certainly yeah. that, that plays right into the hands of, of the Bath playing style, but also the players. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the discipline side has to come in as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of ill discipline today. Um, there was, you know, I didn't think George Ford, who's a key man at 10, um, you know, looked tired. He looked, he looked disinterested at, at times. Um, and so key players in pivotal positions, and we talk about players who've then moved to another club, but they're still, you know, I'm 100% behind winning trophies. But that mentality is, is, a, is a different thing. And uh, these are the guys that the younger players look up to. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there was a sort of senior leadership um, lack of discipline, although I thought Francois Lowe was outstanding for Bath. He um, was, yes, he was. And, and I, you know, so there's a number of players. You can have all the best players in the world, but it's a dynamic that you create within the team for the leaders to lead and direct and, and the players to really sort of fit into uh, to their roles and, and and do a job. Matt, now, there may or may not be something in this, and I'd like you your view on it. I was uh, discussing with uh, Abby, my producer, who is far too young to even remember this, but Bath's dominance of English rugby in the late 80s and early 90s yeah. was almost total in a way that no other club has, uh, has managed to do it since, and certainly not in the professional era, even with the Leicesters, uh, you know, on the Wasp runs. Is, yeah. uh, is did, did, they might not feel that, but in the, in the um, atmosphere around the club with the supporters who have got those memories, is that, a, is that a, any factor or not? Yeah, it is. It's something, um, and the club really are making effort to get, uh, to kind of, create the you know look at that culture define it what was good about it build on it and actually get the the new crop to understand it Mm -hmm. because unless you define it first the players coming in will struggle to really understand what that was Mm -hmm. and and so the club are making a big effort there in in old players and all that good stuff but it was a family club i mean the band yes it was yes yeah the banter was savage yes it Uh, was yes (laughs) yes it was it was it was kind of like if you didn't earn the right or if you didn't understand that um, it was all about pure commitment and if you for one minute kind of thought about playing for another club or you thought oh, I'm not up for this you, you would get found out and, and I think that level of passion and commitment is something that Bath has been you know prevalent on and, and needs to be brought in and also there was you know there's there's more local rugby clubs around Bath and Bristol than anywhere in the country so the local talent that is at Bath disposal is unbelievable. And, and the club are looking at this, not going to, something that's going to happen overnight. But how do you really tap into that young talent and, and get a percentage of players that are local boys to differentiate yourself from, you know, the likes of Saracens, which I have massive respect for, even Wasps, who were relocated to another ground. We're very lucky in Bath that we play on the wreck. I mean, there's, there's stuff there with the redevelopment, but... Play on the wreck. We're in a great city, great culture, great history. Um, we have the talent around us, but how do you pull that together to bring a, a team in that has a large percent of the players that are local boys want to play, want to want to build on the history and the culture and, and take the team forward? Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, uh, we've run out of time unfortunately, but I tell you what, that was that was possibly, no, actually probably, one of the best uh, deconstructions of 
of current problems that I've heard, you know, from anyone associated with Bathos. So thank you very much. No, really good to speak to you, Brian. And Tina, it's great to speak to you too, mate. Take care. Cheers, mate. Time to turn our attention to a competition which uh, has been looked down on by a lot of uh, English people. But as Tinas and I were saying earlier on, the standard of play in the Pro 12 has, has risen appreciably, certainly in the last two seasons. And we're now going to, uh, to speak to a man who, unfortunately, I think um, has announced his retirement. Sean Lamont, the former Scottish international and current Glasgow Warriors fullback, um, scored against Connacht this weekend. Uh, another decent win. Sean, good evening. Good evening, how are you? I'm all right, mate. First of all, can I uh, be one of the uh, many who've given their congratulations on your career? Tremendous. Uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed it. But uh, someone's asked me here, Donald McLeod has asked me, ask Sean if he minds if Edinburgh ruin his last ever game at the end of this season by winning the 1872 Cup. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'll try and spoil that myself. Thank you very much. Um, Just oh, explain look, that to people who don't know what it is. Uh, the 1872 Cup yeah. is our local Scottish derby. Um, it's played over two legs with, between the two teams up here. And it's just more about bragging rights for the year. Um, normally, normally gets played like a double header at Christmas, but it, it's changed around this year. And obviously, the, the uh, final leg of it being the, the last home game um, in the league, and well, it could be our last. So it's the last scheduled home game. Depending on how we go, we could still reach the playoffs, but it's our last scheduled game. So. Um, um, I'm trying to get a win myself and so are the team. Well, we need every win now from here and out, preferably with bonus points, to give us the best chance of reaching the uh, playoffs. Well, you do. I mean, um, six, still still in touch, just about. Um, as you say, there's not too much <coughs> room for manoeuvre. Of the teams above you, um, Leinster are you know, top with 70 points, but you're starting to look at Ulster around there, Scarlet's just above you. Which of the ones do you think... Um, you might be able to knock over. Um, to be fair, we need to knock over every opposition we need to get to, um, and then we need some of the other teams to drop points and do us a favour that way. Um, unfortunately, having things not in your own hands is a bit of a bit of an issue. But if we do everything we can and win all our games with bonus points, which is no mean feat, I think we've got both Leinster and Munster to play, um, which again the two very talented teams and um, will often have good battles against us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's not beyond us, but it's certainly a tough slog and we're, we're looking at every game now, pretty much every game we have left is uh, finals finals football, as it were. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know what's at stake and um, it's, a, it's a tough old end to the season. Sean, um, some of the uh, Premiership clubs complain about the number of players that they lose to the Six Nations, but that pales into insignificance when we talk about Glasgow's roster. Uh, is there any sequelae, any fallout from from that in in relation to the club? Um, no, I mean we understand it's we've got a, a small play, pool of players in Scotland, and um, obviously having a lot of them, and I have only hope two pro teams in Scotland. But I think it's the, the sort of price you pay when teams are going well and players are playing well, and. Um, it works both ways for us. I mean, the reason Glasgow have so much success is because we have these players, and um, 
and not just that, but these top-level players, the top international players, they they make everybody else who might not start fight for their position underneath. So um, it drags up the quality of the, the squad massively. But like I say, losing, I think we lost 13 or so, and um, often losing two people to one position, like our, our first and second string players. And um, it's definitely tough. And we, we've got a big squad and. Uh, and although some of the results didn't go our way while these boys were away, it's um, in the past we've done it before. We won the league; it's the same situation. We had a lot of boys involved in Scotland, and managed to do it. And unfortunately, just this year, a couple of games that we probably could have and should have won slipped us. And it's it, just where we are now. It's part and parcel of the game, unfortunately. Sean Tinas Delpuria, um must admit, I uh, I saw you galloping away for that final try, which was uh, <laughs> heartwarming. I've got two que- two questions for you. I've been uh, retired seven years. First of all, are you sure you want to retire? Because uh, it's a long time retired. And if you are, are you available for Dubai at, in, uh, in in December for uh, for my charity team? Um, first of all, yes, I'm sure I want to retire. Um, I've had a good innings. I've I've loved every minute of it. But I think now the time is right. Um, just twofold. I'll I'll get out while my body's still in one piece, as it were. It's not falling apart completely. Um, still need a little bit of TLC to get through the week these days. But um, the big part, if I if I ask to play for another year, um, that is possibly a, a contract for maybe a younger up and coming guy to get his break. And that, and because we're such a, a small nation, I I really can't afford to be doing that. It's for, for the state of Scotland. I want to see young boys that are going to be fresh. And it's a young man's sport these days. It really is. So let the next young whippersnapper and it's the same with me. I had my chance young and I'm not going to let anybody, I'm not going to stand in anybody's ways going forward. Uh, Sean, aside from obviously your hopes for Glasgow, when you look at the top of the table and you see the two <coughs> Irish provinces, Leinster and Munster, Osprey's just behind them. Uh, which do you think are, which do you think is the strongest team out of those three? Um, well, against us, I think we've got the Leinster have been our toughest opponent. I think we've uh, had the poorest win ratio against them. Um, although they've been not so prominent the last couple of years, but previous to that, they were always up there, always challenging, not just for uh, league titles, but European as well. So, same with Munster. They're, they're, do you know what? It's, it's tough to pick. Mm-hmm. And, and you say Osprey. It is. They're all... The re- there's a reason they're they're top in the table, um, and they are good quality sides with well drilled players, and especially Munster, that they know how to win a game. They might not always do it pretty, but they always seem to be on the right side of the scoreboard come the final whistle. I, I, how, I, I can't account for this. Can you account for how Benetton Treviso beat Ospreys 13-15, 13-5? That is the beauty of sport, <laughs> yeah. and that's why you're allowed to. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful sport, and watching it—if if it was everything was set in stone, then it'd be a bit boring in the end. So it's the thing. Take well, do you know what? Take nothing away from Ben and Treviso. They are a tough team, especially at home. Um, and if you're not on form, they will punish you because they are—they are a physical side. And if you let them stay in the game, they will keep coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you—if you stretch a lead, sometimes they fall away. But and I think obviously. With a tight, such a tight scoreline, they managed to stay in it against Ospreys and, and squeak the win. It's it's not unheard of. It is 
the less likely of the results, but I say that is the beauty of sport. Sean, um, I'm pretty sure and I hope that I'll get to speak to you, you know, again before you do retire. If I don't, for some reason, uh, can I reiterate, thank you very much uh, for your on-the-field contributions. And I know you've been a guest on this show for, for uh, you know, a few times now, so thank you very much for that as well. Not at all. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. We're now going to speak to the man who quite possibly is the explanation behind why Benetron Treviso beat the Ospreys because he's a very powerful man. Uh, it's a man with a whistle. Nigel Owens. Nigel, good <laughs> evening. Is it your, is well, it your fault? I, I've, been uh, called, I've been called many things, Brian, over the years, but a powerful man is something I've never been called before. Oh, <laughs> uh, social, you'll get it on social media, uh, you know, for, for Ospreys losing. Um, funnily enough, no, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm on social media and, you, and you'll pick up the things if you mentioned and then come through, but I don't go on there to read what's said. And, uh, but I've, I haven't picked anything up, to be honest. No, you know, you know, my, you know it was, uh, all it was my anonymous a, account's not come through. Well, no, 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 unless, you, unless you're copied in on the tweet, you don't, you don't, you don't see it on you. And I, I certainly don't go typing my name in there looking at what people are going to say, because if, if, if I did, then I'm not going to be a very happy man, so I don't do that. Actually, on social media, do you see the post of the... Um, I was, it seemed like five minutes, but it's actually about 30-odd seconds. Um, you know, of the, in the, uh, the, the... Was it French game? The pro-deur, yeah. The pro-deur of um, the attacking side forming a mall waiting stationary for about 30 seconds with the defenders stepping back and not doing anything. The referee eventually getting bored and saying, oh, it's a penalty, because I don't know what he said. Not necessarily what it is, but I, we're all bored now. So um, did you did you see that? Um, was that quite recent? It was, was it very a while recent, ago? Yeah, yeah, very recent. Oh, no, I've, I've seen one similar then, I think, mm -hmm. um, a, a while ago, I think. And, um, yeah, I've seen it happen before when they, they set up the mall and then the defending side does not want to come in and, mm -hmm. and form a mall and then the side with the ball does not want to move forward because mm -hmm. until the other side come in so that they can't take it down or whatever. And, it, yeah, it just becomes a bit of a stalemate. So um, I think the, the, well, the, the best thing to do with the whistle then, if nothing's happening, is you, you either wait <laughs> and, uh, and, and keep, keep on going for another 100 minutes of rugby maybe or you, um, or you blow up and you... Um, and you just give a scrum to the Let, team let's in, not in go possession. Into, let's not go into extra time stuff, because <laughs> we, could, we, we, we will be here all night. Um, Tinas and I were discussing this earlier on, and I think we've discussed it in part, about don't change laws to, to, to do this, because they have always have unintended consequences. But, you know, this scenario, in this, in this instance, the mall, in, uh, in others in rooks, others in, uh, in line-outs and so on, isn't the best way because it's gone, you know, we were, it, the novelty is wearing off now, actually. Um, and pro players and coaches are as cynical uh, as they're allowed to be. Isn't the best way just to say this is against the spirit of the game and we're not going to have it anymore? We want people, it's a, co it's a game of competition for the ball. Um, and of competition all round, yeah. and you've got to stop doing this. Yeah, you're right. You do have that in your army as, as, as a referee. Um, I would suggest that it would be a management tool rather than blow the whistle and penalise something for it um, and, and to encourage it not to be, and unless it becomes an ongoing uh, problem in the game where then we'd have to do something and, and, and address it. But I think what... what well, what tended to happen, we saw quite a few of these uncontest, uncontested malls from lineouts mm -hmm. happening last year. And, and that was because we as referees um, weren't refereeing the law strict enough on the setup of the mall. 
So what was happening then, they were setting up the mall illegally, i.e. the ball cutter was coming down from the line-out, and then he was putting two bodies of the supporting players in front of him. So it was impossible then for the defending side to get at the ball carrier to compete and defend that mall. And it became a, a very potent attacking weapon because we weren't strict enough with the laws of setting the mall up. And it became very difficult to defend. So what the defending side were doing then, we're right, OK, we're not going to contest this mall now then because it's impossible for us to defend it. So that's why this was starting to creep in. So I think what we did as referees quite rightly so then was guidance from, from the top, of course, was, look, we need to referee both teams exactly the same and we need to be better at refereeing the illegality of the setup of the mall. And I think we've done that. You know, we, the long arm transfer became something Ill- illegal if it, were, it was causing obstruction. Our awareness of the blockers in front of the ball carrier. And by dealing with this then, the mall became more defendable. And then you saw the defending size then, right, we can defend this mall now because it is a fair contest like everything should be in the game. So you don't really see a lot of this non-contest anymore. So as long as we referee the laws that are there, then hopefully a lot of this will, will not happen then. And if it does start to creep in, then we just as referees need to start refocusing and seeing right what exactly is, is happening here. Nigel Tinas here. Um, I know, How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Um, I know you guys do a lot of analysis and feedback and, and get back into headquarters and analyse the games. Um, players watch the game uh, and they copy in the grassroots level. Uh, they'll see a Sonny Bill Williams and they suddenly introduce, try and introduce this. How much of effect of control do you actually have of those referees um, in the grassroots levels through your societies to, to be able to send the message to these guys about controlling the game? Because certainly the grassroots, grassroots level, um, the players and the teams will try and introduce these same tactics. Yeah, you're right. And, and the problem you have with the grassroots, they may be trying to introduce practices or tactics that they are not good enough, with all due respect, to to put into place because we were actually talking about grassroots and also being disrespectful to the grassroots law because in my view the grassroots is the most important part of the game so yes we have a huge influence as well because what will happen is this we we get together now under our underland uh, quite a few times during the the year we got together in mini camps during the six nations and i think all credit to, to, to our land here who Joel Jute did an excellent job before him, and, and Alan has taken that forward again. And I thought the refereeing throughout the, the Six Nations as a whole was 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 very good, and, and and the rugby was good. And we'll get together now in May again with with Alan as well, who's leading us very well in doing this. So what will happen when we get together? We will discuss issues like this. We will come out then with how we feel we need to referee it, what we need to referee better. Uh, Alan will take something forward then, maybe to World Rugby. Look, we we need to look at maybe implementing a law change or directive here because this is the best way to deal with this. Then what happens then, all that is filtered then back to the coaches of the teams, back to the referees, managers, and then it is filtered back into the Pro 12, into the Top 14, the Super Rugby and everything, and then from there it's filtered down. So, for example, I'm a member of the Canadian District Referee Society. That's my local one. That's where I started nearly 30 years ago now, and I've, happened, I've been chairman for the last 15 years. So part of my job as a WIU as an employee as well is we go around the societies and do training topics. So actually on this Thursday, um, I'm speaking to our members of the society. I'll be doing a training topic on Thursday night to about 35, 40 of the local referees at all levels of the grassroots below the professional game in Wales. Uh, and I'll be passing on to them what is 
spoken about and what is what is dealt at the top and and and, and filter that down to help them then to understand and maybe to um, to referee things, you know, appropriately and to deal with these situations that arise then because you're quite right what you say. When when the players start doing at the top end of the game, then the guy on Saturday is going to try and do the same and, and the referees then need to adopt to that as well. So there's a lot of work being being done like that and it does it'll take a few weeks before it all filters down and everything, but uh, it, it it certainly does it does happen, yes. Nigel, um we I don't know if we can cover this in three minutes. We probably can't, but the situation that occurred at the end of the France-Wales game was not helped by water carriers running all over the place. Now, as far as I understand, um, when the uh, fourth official uh, says time is off and gives them permission, they can come on. But what that created in Paris when I was there was a number of people who weren't involved in the game in various parts of the field, some around the scrum, some in the dead ball area, all of which the officials, you know, can't help but be aware of. Um, are they on? Are they on? Why are they on? Then the, then the doctor comes on from one of them, speaks to a player, and it was quite clear that Wayne Barnes was trying, in a very difficult situation anyway, to have to marshal people that actually were not involved in the specific game. Now, do you think that needs looking at? There are protocols in, in, in place, Brian, um, which... You know, and, and I think if, if, if those protocols are broken, I'm not saying for one instance that they were broken in Paris, but if protocols are broken in, in any game, whether they're in place, then, then governing bodies will, will look at that situation and deal with it appropriately. But the protocols are you have a medic on one side of the field and the other side of the field. He is the only guy who is allowed to come on to the field whilst play is going ahead to deal with if it's an injury. If it's a serious injury, if a player is down injured, a medic is allowed to come on without the referee's permission. That is the only guy who's allowed to come on. Nobody else, no water carrier or anybody can come on the field whilst the game is going ahead, can, can only come on to the game, to the field, when the referee stops the clock, stops the game, and then they have permission to come on. So nobody else can be on the field only the medics are coming on to attend to a player who is injured whilst the game is going ahead. And if the game is on stop, they are only allowed on the field with, with the referee's permission. Now, what does happen is when the referee does stop the clock, you don't have to tell people, yes, water, you can come on. So when you stop the clock for a stoppage, then water carriers are able to come on then uh, whilst the game is on stop. But apart from that, only the medics, one which is on each side of the field, is allowed to come on to attend an injured player. So effectively you're saying... Uh, the protocols are there, provided they're followed, yeah? Protocols are in place, and there's a strict protocol in place of who can be mm-hmm. in, the, in the dugout area within the, 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 the meeting and who must stay in there and who can be in there and when they can leave there. Uh, and when the teams are warming up, they must warm up on their um, opposition side of the field, so when their team are attacking and not when they're defending. So there are strict protocols mm-hmm. in place for, for everything as well that, that take place during the field, yes. OK, you, you can't say this, but I can. Uh, well, at best, uh, France didn't follow the protocols. And at worst, in my opinion, they cheated. But thank you very much, Nigel. Speak to you again, mate. My pleasure, Brian. All the best, boys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye. Ta-da. Time now to uh, go to the great game of rugby league, and I, I'm very pleased, actually, be able to speak to Wigan Warriors head coach, Sean Wayne. Good evening, Sean. Good evening, Brian. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Now, um, a reverse of the uh, against Hull FC, who are, you know, they're flying as well. Um, when, a, when a kickoff is delayed, and frankly, 
people should know what the M62 is like, actually. But um, the fact is that you can't ever tell which side will come out of it, you know, the better. Uh, and, 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 you know, Hull, ostensibly, you could say, might be more affected. And yet, you know, they, they, they came on um, 22-0 um, and blitzed in the first. So you, was that a factor for you? Um, yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. We, we all know what the M62 is like. When we were playing Leeds next week on Friday night, we we go over in the early afternoon, stay in an hotel, yeah. have a pre-match and have a sleep with the players. So we, we planned for that. All didn't, and they arrived late, unfortunately. And it can work for you, it can work against you, and it did work for all. Um, they had a very experienced team out, and um, and I had a, a lot of kids out, so uh, it worked well for all. We come back in the second half, Brian, but... Um, we just give ourselves too much to do in the first half, and I don't think we really believe we could win until it was too late. Well, I mean, actually, I mean, yeah, they, they did put all these points on, but equally, I, I thought you there were several chances that you you probably might, well probably should have put away um, early in the first fifteen minutes. Absolutely, yeah. I thought we we genuinely bombed. We were one one pass away, one wrong choice away from scoring three tries. So it could have been very, very different. And that's my, that was my message to the players. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make the right choices at the right times, we'll score. And we did that in the in the back end of the second half. But um, we just left it too late. And mm-hmm. I, I think if we'd have won the game, Brian, to be honest, um, I don't think many people would have mourned about it. With the, the players read out, it would have been a great a great score for us. But uh, it wasn't to be. I, look, I just wonder, um, no one plans to be late, obviously, because it can go both ways, as we said. But if a side, a professional side as well, remember, can't actually get there for the right time, do you think there ought to be some sanction? Barring, um, barring a terrorist attack or something completely forced. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, we, we would make sure that we plan and plan everything. Um, we, get, we get within eight minutes of the Leeds ground, uh, Three hours before kickoff, mm-hmm. and we know we're there, and nothing can go wrong, um, you know. But I don't know what old protocols are and what they do and how they do it. Um, but it just didn't work, you know. I think I think the problem what all had was was just coming out of all on this sixty-two. Something went wrong, and it, it you know it just went against their planning. So uh, unfortunately, it, it had a, a negative effect on us. Um, the, the, the RFL have a, have a have a, a thing in place where they're, they're given 45 minutes from when they arrive. They arrive late and we kicked off at 10 past eight. Whether it disrupted my players, I don't think it did, to be honest, Brian. Okay. We started slow, we started soft, and um, we need to take responsibility for that. Sean Tinez Delport here. Um, admittedly, I'm not a massive um, league supporter and, and really on up to date with the league rugby, but sort of just following um, league rugby and picking up little bits here, at least you started. Um, the Warrington Wolves, um, having such a successful World Club champs um, against some of the Australian's best teams, um, I think the question is, is how long does a hangover last in Warrington? And is this something the Warrington fans need to be concerned about? Yeah, to, to be honest, I, I don't think there is something to be concerned about. They, they had a fantastic win against Brisbane. Um, them same players... Are not getting wins at the moment, but they are a very, very talented team. They have a talented coach, and they will come back. No, no doubt about that in my mind. They've just got they've just got too many good players in their team. Um, I, I have every respect for what they do. Uh, things are not going right for them. 
uh, at the moment, but it's a long season. There's a lot of games left to play, and I'm sure they'll be there at the, the end of the season. Well, well, what is it, Sean? Because, I mean, it's not as if they're just losing games narrowly. Um, is it is it confidence? Because, I mean, they've had a couple of injuries, but I don't think they can point to that, really. No, no, I, I, I think you're out there, Brian. I think it is a confidence thing. You know, they, they do have some experienced players. Um, they lost Stefan Ratchford and Chris Hill for long periods. Now they're back, but it's, it's going to take them two or three, as you know, Brian, it takes you two or three games to get yeah. back into the swing of things. And But once they get them games under the belt, Warrington will be OK. I'm, yeah. I'm sure they will. They're too good. The way they're playing against Brisbane, a very, very strong Brisbane team, was outstanding. And that's just one performance away. Well, um, Leeds got mauled by Castleford um, a while ago. Well, not a, even quite, quite a short time ago, actually. And uh, they went uh, to Huddersfield, 28-12. I think it was a bit more straightforward than the scoreline sounds. Now, yeah. what is, you know, after all the problems they had losing the three big players after such a successful season, what's been the reason they've turned that around, in your opinion? They still have some good players. They still have some talent, unbelievable talent in their team. And uh, and I think they've settled in and understood the need for... for Real good performances. Um, they've still got some real, real good players. So, you know, Rob Burrow's playing out of, out of his skin at the moment. They're, they're very, very confident. Danny Maguire. They lost them three players. They had a confidence split. You know, them three players have been real, real info, influential players uh, for Leeds for many, many years. And um, they had a, a poor season, no question about that. But now, um, they're playing outstanding rugby league and it's going to be a tough game for us on Friday up at Edinley. But... Um, I think I think now uh, the senior players like Carl Abler and Dan Maguire they're, they're they're showing their class and and they're winning games quite comfortably. Uh, Todd Carney um, made his debut for Salford Red Devils, but I don't think he was responsible for the nine tries necessarily that went in against uh, Widnes. Now I know there's we're not we're not too far into the season, but actually you lose a few more games and you are certainly, you know, could be from the, the, the playoffs and so on. Now, Witness Vikings, if you're saying that Warrington definitely will get out of this, what what can you say about Witness? Um, I, I think they're under, under the pump. They let Kevin Brown go. They've not replaced him, Brian. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm not sure um, where the next win's coming from. Um, there's, there's a lack of confidence there. Um, they've not got that many injured. Joe Muller at the standoff is, is out at the moment. Um, and he'd he, he need to make a huge difference to um, change things around witness. And, you know, Dennis is a, an hard-working coach. I'm sure that he'll be trying hard to make sure that um, they turn the corner. But to be honest with you, um, I'm struggling to see where the wins are going to come from. You know, they've got some good players, but they're, they're lacking in confidence and uh, they seem to have lost too many players. And, and finally... Um... Lee, I think they've done tremendously well, to be honest. Their coach, Neil Dukes, I like him a lot. Uh, he's very realistic. Uh, he wasn't very happy about their second-half performance. And, uh, indeed, Wakefield's uh, coach, Chris Jester, game of two halves. Now, I've always said that uh, both teams, in a decent game, will have periods of ascendancy. And it's who makes the most of theirs. But in terms of rugby league, when you're talking about how to manoeuvre players within certain uh, you know certain sets what is it you're actually basically trying to achieve and where specifically well what we we 
I'm a big fan of every sport. Um, you know, I love rugby union. I love rugby league. I love every sport. And we've looked at every um, analysis tool that there is, and we do a lot of studying, lots of video with the players, and we're trying to look at how teams defend and how we can change them uh, defensively, yep. how they attack, and how we can make them them attack differently. So we have a real specific plan when we go into every game. And um, and it's something I got of Brian Ashton, who you know very well. I Brian. Know very well, yeah. Um, I met him, and, and and one of Brian's things was was about changing teams, how they defend and how they attack. You know, and I've took that hopefully to a different level, and and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get them in certain areas of the field, trying to get a win, play off the back of that, and and just get just get some momentum. And and we didn't do that on Friday against Hull. In the second half, we did. We recognised when we had a win, the markers weren't square, and we went at them with players and we scored tries. So it's. It's very, very simple for us. You know, we're not a complicated team. Mm-hmm. But it's just hours and hours and hours of watching video, teams how they defend, and, and just making sure we try to change, uh, you know, how, how that team uh, philosophy works. Well, it's always the way, isn't it? The, the things that people make look simple are probably, you know, planned to the nth degree and, it, and you know, and practice to the nth degree. Sean, thank you very much, mate. Thanks very much, Brian. Nice Take to care. You. Thank you. All the best. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. Um, I've been criticised in the past for talking too much, which is probably a reasonable one. I'm not going to talk at all now. Uh, so we're going to have, you know, a whole bit on Super Rugby by Tina Stelport. No, not quite. Tina, um, th- this can't go on, can it, with, with all these teams different conferences, one team, you know, one continent not playing against the other. Just go. No, it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. But just just coming back to um, before we touch on the Super Rugby, um, you talk about um, players making things look easy and then when you look back at it, um, it is actually quite difficult. Uh, there's this fantastic try by Ropeni Thao Nibuka and uh, in the post-match, he sort of got the ball on his own, in just inside his own half, um, ran with it, beat a couple of the guys and then scored a fantastic try 50-55 metres out and in the post-match interview um, the, the interviewer asked him so Rupeni, how did you do that? and he uh, he was pretty much catch ball, run, score try so, <laughs> so not quite probably not quite what they wanted to hear but yeah, it's uh, when you have to break it down it's um, it, does, it does become more intricate as, you- as is the Super Rugby setup, um, you know, it, it's unbelievable where um, South African teams, some South African teams, don't play uh, New Zealand teams until the, f- the following year. And um, last year, the Lions, um, against all odds, um, played the New Zealand teams and were able to actually push through to the final. Can you see that happening this year? I can, I can. The re- which... The reason why is the Lions are missing all New Zealand um, opposition uh, un- until they play get into the playoffs. So mm-hmm. they have mainly the other South African sides, the the Jaguars, which they've um, the, which they've lost their game to because they've rested like they did last season. They less rested their Springbok players on the tour, and the Sun Wolves, which unfortunately um, is sort of that side you you pick your wins again. The, the Kings. Um, which got absolutely annihilated again by the Lions um, this weekend. And and then the Australian sides, which are under immense amount of pressure and really finding it tough um, with four or five-year runs, runs into the, well, you, into the, the Super Rugby. They, I mean, they always have to play in the, in, in, with the New Zealanders. I mean, they don't get any rest at all. 
No, I've... but but then again, I... I mean, there are too many. For me, there are too many uh, Australian franchises as well. I think both both Australia and South African sides are really, really stretched way beyond uh, the limit in, in strength and depth. Personally, I don't feel there should be six South African sides. I think there should be four. Um, at does, a maximum. Does that, sorry, sorry, does that have anything to do with the, you know, the the quarter element that's been introduced, which was, let's face it, was political, not necessarily, not well intended, but you know, not doesn't necessarily fit well with sport. Is there an element to that with the number? I don't. I don't think you can solely blame the transformation targets that's been set um, by by the government and by South African Rugby Union. You want to. We want to increase the participation. We want to encourage um, more people of our society to play rugby, to take up the ball. the The decision to include the the Kings were were a political decision, um, and they were put in in position to play Super Rugby without having. The proper results leading them there. You look at the sides that make up the Kings, the um, the supporting sides, um, Eastern Province, Southwestern Districts, um, Border. In any competition, they are the bottom three, um, and that is not even in the Curry Cup in the lower levels. So, in terms of merit, um, these guys just aren't good enough mm. to play at that level. But because of political reasons, they were included to include to have six South African sides. I think potentially. Um, or definitely, our, our strength and depth is, is stretched. But that's only a contributing factor. That's not the whole picture. Okay. You look at the amount of South African rugby players abroad applying their trade overseas. Now, tell me about the... I don't know how recent this is, but it is quite recent. Uh, this, the SARU have, have brought in... I think this is right. Correct me if it's not. Uh, a rule that you won't get picked for South Africa um, unless you've got 30 caps. Very recently, because there's... Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Once you've got 30 caps, you can go abroad and they'll pick you again. But before then, you've got to play in South Africa. Yeah, you can, you can, still, you can still opt to go play abroad. You're just not going to be looked at to come back and play uh, mm-hmm. and test match rugby for South Africa. A little bit similar to what Australia has introduced yeah. um, with, the 50, with the 50 test cap um, sort of limit. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I think um, for South African rugby, the guys need to play um, the, the the club rugby locally or the provincial rugby locally. Yes, there's a ma- massive economic factor. South African economy um, is not close to to the European economies. Um, Europe, f- Japan will always be a draw card because these guys will get paid much more than they'll be able potential earning in South Africa. Unfortunately, what this leads to is that a vast amount of players are applying their trade overseas instead of sort of lifting the level of challenge in the domestic mm-hmm. cup. So younger players are not developing against hardened, yeah. experienced players. So your youngsters coming through under 20, under 21, suddenly has been thrown at the in, the in the Curry Cup, which is our premier domestic competition, but he's not playing against the hard-nosed, experienced guys that are sort of coming down, finishing their careers. Well, I'm sure this will have some effect, but actually, if you think about it, 30 caps you can get in nearly two years now. So you'll get some um, contribution there, but perhaps it ought to be in uh, a higher number. Yeah, but I mean, you don't want to, look, you don't want to stop players earning money, uh, but you're just saying, actually, our domestic game, our international side, needs a decent chunk of your time. You know, by all means, go and make, make money after that, but actually, we really need you here for, the, for, for whatever period is agreed. No, certainly there's got to be 
limitations put on the movement of the players. You've you see a lot of Super Rugby players now leaving after the Super Rugby, going to play rugby in Japan, and then a sort of a six-month contract deal in Japan, coming back straight from Japan, um, playing uh, Super Rugby. So they also missed um, you know the, the opportunity to play back in the Curry Cup. I think the question marks has got to be be put at on the where is the level of the curry cup now is this our premier competition or is this merely a development competition for young players coming through uh, potentially looking for for um, contracts overseas we always ask this question and it's inevitable because of the strength of their domestic pro- the, the, the fact is can you see anybody realistically topping the new zealand sides i mean their conference 1 2 Three for top top five places out of six. They their structure works um, from from top to bottom. They all play a very similar game. Yes, they are. If you really look and, and break down um, break down every team, it is slightly different. But it's it's per directives of of New Zealand rugby. Mm. They all play for brand All Black rugby. Um, whether you're at school level, whether you're at the top uh, in the Super Rugby, um, everyone plays to the top of that pyramid. Which means that if there is an injury, the next guy filtering through, coming up the pyramid, already knows the structures. He's confident in the structures. He's confident in the skill execution. And it's a very similar type of game. We all play different. South Africa, still, even though we're trying uh, now with the coaching in Dabas to, to get all teams to play a very similar way, a Springbok brand, uh, you look at the Premiership, all teams inevitably play differently. Now you put these teams together for the international side where the All Blacks play a similar type of game for, throughout the career, throughout for, the year. For um, people who are not necessarily that familiar with rugby and are more interested in football, that would be like the top six Premiership teams all agreeing you play a certain way so that England can succeed at the international level. Now, that is a fairly significant mindset change and, and difference. And if you understand that, you probably understand why the New Zealand um, all-black franchise has been probably the most dominant sporting franchise ever because it's always been that way. We're going to complete now the, the programme, uh, Tinas, with Lions Watch, which is in association with QBE Insurance. We're getting very close to this. A, g- a general question... What do you think Warren Gatland will have in his mind for players who, like Rob Shaw, like Vanipola, like other players who have got international status, we know they're very good international players, yet they've not been able to contribute much to Six Nations, and he's only got a limited amount of club time to assess their current fitness and performance. Where Will they stand much further behind um, players who weren't necessarily as well-known, but have had storming Six Nations. Well, how do you balance that? That is, a, that is a difficult thing to balance. Do you go back on the reputation of these players you know, you've trust, that's walked away, you know, w- come through a successful season with you, or do you punt the guy um, that's shown the talent? He's got to find that balance. Certainly you can't m- overlook players that are on form. It is going to be a tough, tough series over there in New Zealand. You've got to be fit. You've got to have the guys that are mentally not fatigued. They've got to be sharp. Well, ironically, a lot of those players who haven't played will probably be sharp. Ironically, they will be because they've, they've had that rest. They've, they've had that break. And that's, that's where he's got to gauge um, 
where these guys are now in these final five, six weeks of, of domestic competition. Do they have a massive dip in form um, after the internationals or are they maintain, or are they able to maintain uh, a, a relative stable performance? Um, and then you work on just refreshing and sharpening it up to peak uh, when, when the All Blacks come along. Well, let's switch to speak. We, we, we talked in the very beginning of the programme about the difficulty that Chris Strobshaw has. Do you think he'll be on the plane? I, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult for me to see him being on the plane if all the guys that have played um, this season and have performed are staying fit. Um, yes, he'll definitely be on the um, on the standby list, um, but actually to get that place on the on the plane is going to be difficult. Um, I think he will actually, provided that he carries on with Quinns in the form he. Short against Newcastle. We will see. That's a very uh, interesting one. Billy Vinipola, um, playing well. Uh, played well for Saris. To me, his form over the day, especially in the European stuff, will decide whether he's starter, replacement or just squad. Billy Vinipola is destructive. If he is fit and he's confident, um, you know, he's, he's definitely one of those players that can turn a game uh, against the All Blacks. You need that person to be able to go over the line, put the All Blacks on the back foot. Whether his fitness levels um, are sufficient at the moment to play that high-paced game um, up in up in New Zealand is probably questionable. Um, you know, They've the got question, a fair time before they go. Though. No, no, he's got a fair time. He's, he's got enough time to get that game fitness, that game sharpness, and keep on, uh, keep on improving. Whether it was the right choice to start against Ireland, that could be debatable. But certainly, he's one of those guys you want in your squad, whether he's starting um, or coming up as a, as a as a finisher, as they say in these days. Um, he's he's got to be he's in, integral to to that team. Um, just finally, simple question, very difficult to answer. Your lines, captain. That is difficult. That it is, is. Diffi- that, that is very very difficult. Um, <laughs> You gotta, you gotta pick for. In my view, you gotta pick the guy um, that's on form. You gotta pick the guy that's probably representative of the bulk of the squad, squad makeup. Um, you know, the Irish, the Irish are probably looking good in terms of supplying a, a big portion of the squad. The English are looking good at, at picking a, a sort of supplying a big portion of that squad. I think for me, key is you pick. You'll have to pick a captain um, out of the guys that you know represent the most of the squad. And that will be that'll be me waffling and not giving you a straight answer. <laughs> All right. We got to leave it there. I would love to press you, but uh, I understand that. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Many thanks to my co-host, Tina Stelport, for joining me in the studio this week. And as always, to our producer, Abby Patterson. Next week, my co-host will be the former England international and World Cup winner, Miguel Alfonsi. Remember, you can get in touch with us through the week via the hashtag Full Contact And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a review.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.